0: <laughs> Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, and goodbye to all my little friends. Enjoy a glow and learn much from it. <laughs> Time flew by very quickly. We are now in on the first weekend of November already, and we spent the past five weeks concentrating on the first four books of the book of Galatians, dwelling in our sermon topics, the just shall live by faith the gospel-centred life. We have talked about the gospel is God's revelation, that Jesus came to die for us. The message is simple, right? But it is not simplistic. It is free, but it is not cheap. So we should love it, live it, and share it. And we should, and we have talked about the gospel reveals the grace of God, that salvation by faith leads to living by grace. And this gospel requires a response of faith and that ushers us into the family of God to become the children of God. That is the gospel, results, the sonship. And last week, you talked about the gospel and the law. What have you heard from last week's sermon? Can you still remember? We are reminded that we are the children of the free woman and therefore we can freely enjoy this life in this world given by God, given by the giver. And for the next three weeks, we'll still continue on this sermon series, focusing on the remainders of the book of Galatians. We'll look at the gospel gives freedom through Galatians chapter 1, chapter 5, verse 1 to 15. That's our passage today. Next week, we'll look at the second half of chapter 5. The gospel-centered life is a spirit-filled life. And then we'll wrap up this sermon series with Galatians chapter 6. The gospel transforms us into a new creation. Let's now... Commit the time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to commit this time into your hand. Pray that you will renew our minds as we open your word this morning. Speak to us and grant us grace so that we can hear your word in love and we can live our lives in full obedience to your word, O oh Lord. Christ and we pray. Amen. Last week's sermon left us off with this question. Who are we? We are the children of God. But are we, are you, the children of the bond servant or the children of the free woman? This brought me to revisit a spiritual lesson God has taught me back in 2018. That was the first year when I went for my first developmental leave in Vancouver at Regent College. When I was planning for this trip, I was trying to look for a cheaper accommodation. But unfortunately, whatever is cheaper, it will be further away from the college and it will easily take me up to one hour to travel back and forth. But thank God that he provided me a Christian couple who is willing to host me for free. And this place, this location is just 15 minutes away, the bus ride away from the college, which is a perfect Location, So we connected with each other And we to a few emails and WhatsApp text message And upon my arrival, they came to the airport and picked me up They prepared a nice and cozy room for me in their house They brought me around to purchase a public transport card To buy a SIM card that even drove me to the region college just to show me, according to the bus route, okay? Just to show me this is the bus route to the college, and therefore you know your way home safely. Everything was perfect. So by then, if you were me, you should be like, oh, let's enjoy, right? But somehow, unfortunately, it's me. (laughs) Asian in me, the Asian in me, or just me, started to feel like, okay, this is enough, this is really good enough. I shall not burden them anymore. I shall not ask for more. I should be independent and try to get all the things that I need on my own. Don't trouble them anymore. So whenever they offered me breakfast or dinner, I'll tell them, it's okay. I can prepare my own. I can settle it on my own. And whenever I was in the house, I was restricting myself between my room and the bathroom. That's all try to cut, not to cut off but to limit my, my interaction with them so that my presence in their house will not interrupt their usual routine rhythm of life so in me I thought that this is being thoughtful, this is being respectful but somehow of course this is not what they were thinking they told me that the moment I decide to let you stay in a house for free, do you think I will be calculative with all other little things of course not. So, they say that you are free to live in this house, you know. It just, want, it just led me back to think about how many of us here living in the Father's house, like how I lived in this Christian couple's house. Like all I needed is a salvation. Yes, I have it already. I have it already. So, we shall not ask for more. And therefore, not to say about all the provisions of God, all the blessings of God, that we did not do much for that, right? We did not contribute to our salvation. So we should not ask for more. I see people nodding your head. Is that really the way we live our life? So how do we actually live freely under such blessing of God? And some of you may think that, freely? Really? I can do anything? But when I'm granted the permission to live freely in this Christian couple's house, does that mean that I can mess up the kitchen while I'm cooking? Does that mean that I can indulge myself and eat everything that I can find in the fridge in no time? Does it mean that I can use everything that is available in the house without care? Also, of course not. Because freedom to enjoy is not freedom to indulge. So in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 15, Paul shows us that Christ has set us free for freedom. What is gospel freedom? Galatians 5 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So what we want to know is what kind of freedom Christ has set the free for. There are two aspects of it. The first is freedom from the law. We know that the law, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. That means the law simply shows us how sinful we are. And under the old system of the law of Moses, God's people are required to offer their sacrifices to God again and again, year after year. But unfortunately, these sacrifices, we know it well, that were not, were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the worshippers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of the bulls and goats to take away sins. so Christ came as our great high priest, Where are you? Ah, okay, as our great high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins good for all time, for by one offering by one. By that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. So when Christ came, he superseded the old sacrificial system under the law of Moses. The old system under the law attains the right relationship with God through law keeping via human effort. When we sin, we offer sacrifices to God, but these sacrifices by human hands cannot purify us once for all time and thus remove the feelings of guilt in us. But when Christ offered himself to God being crucified on the cross, he sprinkled all our guilty consciences with his blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water once and for all. And in that way, Christ set us free from keeping the law in order for us to attain a right relationship with God. Because Christ himself has fulfilled the law. No need to keep the law for us, seriously. You know, when I think about putting myself in the shoes of the Judaizers, the Judaizers may have freaked out by it. No need to keep the law. Because to them, there were the Jews who confessed, Jesus as Messiah, but they also believe that the Mosaic law and particularly the right of circumcision should be required in order to be saved. So freedom from keeping the law at the first sight, it seems like to remove all incentive for us to lead a holy life. But is this really what Paul meant? Let us look at how Paul portrays this freedom using slavery as as his theological metaphor to communicate his theology about redemption, justification, and reconciliation. Let's go to one by one. Redemption, which is the act of setting a slave free, is used by Paul to say that Christ has liberated believers from sin. Justification, the act of of judged, of being judged and found not guilty is used by Paul to describe that Christian freedom as the complete freedom when a slave is being released from slavery and finally, reconciliation the act of bringing together of those who had been separated from each other is used by Paul to convey the idea that as the slave being excluded from the rights and privileges of a free society become a member of that society upon his release so the one who becomes to who beca- who comes to Christ becomes now a member of God's family redeemed justified and reconciled the believing person is now lifted from the lowest level of a slave to that of a child and heir of the promised salvation by the grace of God. And therefore, this metaphor of sacred release from the slavery is here united with the idea of a change of masters. Of a change of masters this freedom is a change of masters. Let me repeat. Paul says, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. He then asks, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? A rhetorical question. So the answer is definitely, of course not. And therefore, the following verses which in the Romans chapter 6, Paul leads us to the second aspect of the freedom that Christ has set us free for, which is freedom for the law. We continue to read Romans chapter 6. He says that, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads, leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteousness. So does this mean that God enslaving us? Question mark. No, if you look back to verse 16, it is because we chose to obey God, and therefore the word used is like, become that slave to the righteousness. Paul says that those who have been set free from sin have become slaves to righteousness, a change of master from sin, and now God as our master. The release from this bondage of an illusory independence from the law does not lead to, okay, does not lead to a new independence, right? We do not have our independence day, okay? We won't celebrate, celebrate for ourselves. God has a purpose when He sets us free. The one being released is set free for the obedience that comes from faith. And now, as a slave, serve Jesus Christ. That is freedom for the law. Now, we'll come back to take a look, what does this freedom for the law look like later? And now we we need to address one question that you have. Did I actually just say that we do not really have freedom? Do you have that question in your mind when we talk about this? Because we talk about reconciliation, right? God delivered us from sin and now into the kingdom of God, and now God is our master, and now we are the slaves to the righteousness. So, freedom is not freedom. Or is this really a freedom? Perhaps we need to take a step back and ask ourselves this question. Perhaps when we ask freedom is not freedom, that question mark is asking from the understanding that freedom should be an opportunity for us to act without constraint, just like what Pastor Isaac mentioned in the pastor's voice. In other words, freedom means we can live in any way we want. Right? Okay. But if... I were to think about all the possible consequences that may entail the way of life I decided to lead, perhaps I would restrain my own freedom in making any decision which will possibly lead me to some unwanted consequences. Because God has given us free will, freedom, but yet at the same time, He has given us wisdom to exercise our freedom. We definitely have our freedom to choose why and how we want to live our lives But we do not have freedom to choose what kind of consequences That will entail our life choices It's just like when you put your decided to put your hand into fire You will be burned That's the reality, right? That's the laws of the nature You cannot say that I will put my hands into fire I will not be burned We are not Daniel, right? Right? So, this is the same Someone, God has laid down two paths of life for us to choose. The path of the wicked, which will lead to destruction. And the path of the righteous, which will, which will lead us to life. So if we do not choose to worship and serve God and let Him to be our master, we eventually will worship and serve something else and something else will master over us. That's also the reality of life. Because there are only two masters in this world. And interestingly, back in our passage today, the words that Paul used in verse 1 and 13, the word slavery and the word serve. Paul here used the same great root word for this word. Slavery and serve. Both the great root word is doulos, which means servant and slave. Why is it so? Because to Paul... The one who is truly free is the person who is a slave of Christ. That person is as free as mortal and dependent human beings can become. For not only does this new master and servant relationship result in freedom from sin, that destructive tyrant that leads his captives to destruction, but it also results in obedience to Christ, who leads his slaves into holiness, goodness and eternal life the one who is enslaved to Christ is ultimately free, free from sin and death and free to do the will of God and live. So he delivered us from something negative, not only that, he ushers us to something positive. Okay, God has given us freedom that is beyond our understanding, not just free from the negative, but ushers us into the positive. Now here, the Galatians were in danger of wasting this freedom by veering off in one of two directions. On one hand, the false teachers, the Judaizers, were pressuring them into circumcision in order to be sure of their being right with God, to be sure that they are being right with God through circumcision. On the other hand, freedom can also be squandered on indulging in sinful desires instead of using it to serve one another in love. So Paul reminded them that to keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Verses 2 to 12, don't lose it. I summarise it this way. Verse 2, Paul, behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Paul made it straight here. If anyone were to adopt the teaching of the false teachers and follow it, they cannot be saved. The Christ will be of no benefit to them. And verse 3, Paul said, And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under the obligation to keep the whole law. Because circumcision is a seal to the law. Whoever willingly and deliberately undergoes circumcision enters upon a compact to fulfill the law. Therefore, he is bound to fulfill it. But Paul says, whoever thinks that they can be righteous before God by receiving circumcision, that is doing the works of the law, are deceived. Because in reality, no one can be justified by the works of the law. No one can perfectly perform the works required by the law. Therefore, actually, the law shows us how sinful we are because no one can perfectly meet and perform the law. The system of grace and the system of law are incompatible. They cannot go hand in hand. And John Calvin said that whoever wants to have a half Christ loses the whole. Therefore, Paul here say, you have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. So, Paul encouraged the Galatians to persevere on in sticking to the gospel that he first preached to them and assured them that the false teacher's teaching is from the Judaizers did not come from Jesus. Verses 7 to 12. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying this truth? The, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, the Lord, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other will. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Apparently, someone might be accusing Paul for preaching circumcision because if you look at Acts chapter 16, he actually asked Timothy to be circumcised. But Paul did not have Timothy circumcised so that Timothy can be saved or more saved. He did it so that Timothy could evangelize among the unsaved Jewish people more freely. And the core issue about circumcision and the law is more than just the physical aspect of the procedure itself, but the personal pride and self-assurance that many of Paul's Jewish contemporaries had in their national and religious identity. Not only they put their confidence in circumcision, but they regarded their pure identity of Israelite lineage and obedience to the Mosaic law as their own righteousness, in contrast to the divine righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. You now, those who believe in law keeping cannot handle the cross; they see it as a stumbling block. In NIV, it's translated as offense. Because the whole point of Jesus dying on the cross is saying that you cannot save yourself. I must die in your place or you have no hope at all. Friends, if we trust in the law, it will mean that we believe that we can in some part save ourselves. So a question I have for you today is do you have this difficulty to embrace this grace of forgiveness of sins, that the cross is enough to redeem you? Or do you attempt to secure your own righteousness in God's sight by doing good works? In other words, you try to make yourself right with God with your own method, instead of depending on the cross. You know, when we sin and fell into temptation, have you ever tried to do something good to make yourself feel better and feel forgiven, this is a question that we must ask ourselves, because many times we do. When we do that, what is the purpose of the cross then? And as a pastor, how I wish I have that I can have a few check boxes for you, each one of you, so that for me to discern where are you in your faith journey. Okay, come for P three. Checked. Come for service. Checked. Tithe. Checked. You serve in the ministry. Checked. Confess Jesus as your Lord and baptize. Checked. What else? Come for CE classes. Checked. All right, you are good. That will make my job very easy. But that's not something that I can do. And I won't do. Because I have no right to heap up restrictions on you where God has no stated restriction. And the real challenge is that having all these boxes checked may not be the true reflection of your spirituality. Our relationship with God matters the most when we talk about the just shall live by faith. Friends, the moment when you're sitting here, the fact that you're sitting here should be motivated by the love of God should be motivated by the knowledge that you know that you are redeemed, you know that you are loved, and therefore you are here to worship as a response to God's calling. The check boxes may indicate your genuine relationship with God, but what if our obedience is not motivated by God, but our attempts to salvage our relationship with God? Well, we know it here, well, I know here that salvation is not found in our actions, good deeds and work, but in the forgiveness and the grace of God. And another question I'm going to throw to you today is, does this mean that we do not need to care about our actions? Since we only need Jesus for our salvation and Jesus is enough, does it mean that we do not need to read the Bible, we do not need to come for prayer meeting, we need, do not need a DG We do not need to do anything. Friends, indeed, we do not need. We do not need this for us to be saved. But we need this to help keep us in a close and growing relationship with God. We are doing all this once again because we know that God has loved us. Obedience is how Christians should live. It's not how we are saved. Salvation by by faith alone does not mean our works do not matter. Does not mean how we live our lives do not matter. In verse 6, Paul says that faith working through love. And Jesus, in John chapters 14 and 15, respectively, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you you are my friends, if you do what I command, This leads us back to the main idea of sermon today. Christ set us free for the freedom from the law and freedom for the law. Verses 13 to 15. Don't abuse it. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall, not, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Now, let me lighten the atmosphere a little bit. Let me ask you one trivial question. Okay, trivial question. I won't treat you a meal. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> okay. Do you remember my previous hair colour? <laughs> my hair colour now is dark brown. Who can remember my previous hair colour? Black! Wow, okay, I'm not a good student, you know. (laughs) Okay, this is my hair colour at the beginning of this year. (laughs) After a few months, uh, a youth have not seen me after a few months, uh, not a few months, too long, a few weeks. Okay, The first thing he saw me, he said, Pastor Coffin, your hair, exclamation mark. Was that the hair she's look, he, he was looking at or this? That one or this one? What do you think? The youth saw me in black hair. He said, Pastor Coffin, your hair. While no one, when I dyed my hair to gold, no one yelled at me that, Pastor Coffin, your hair. No one asked me why, except my sister-in-law who is a non-Christian. But when I dyed my hair back to dark brown, can you guess how many people asked me why? Seven! Seven! And I find this is very, 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 very interesting because it seemed to me that the church people seem to understand that the colour of my hair does not affect my salvation, does not affect my identity in Christ, yet I want to acknowledge that we have differing preferences. Yesterday night, God worshipper asked me, maybe you can dye pink. <laughs> so, what, more, what is more interesting is Church people seem to be even more interesting and curious about how actually I exercise my freedom because of all other color that I could have. Why do you actually choose to dye it back to dark brown? Right? That's why I guess I would like to guess that's the reason why they, they ask. Pastor Peter says it's because they like my color now. <laughs> okay. So, why did, I decide, why did I decide to dye my colour, uh, hair color back to dark brown? It's because I was invited to speak in a church where no one knows me. And there was a time I reconsidered will my hair colour possibly hindering that the works of God that can take place through me in that church? Will I stumble them? Will How receptive will they be when they're staring at someone with yellow hair preaching to them? Will that think that and believe that I am a legit pastor? And the most pressing question that I, sh- I consider is, am I putting the pastor who is inviting me to the church in a bad position when the church member went, go to him. If the church members go to him and say, hey, hello, what kind of pastor that you have invited them to? We invited her to speak to our church, right? So after all this consideration, I decided to to minimize the damage that I can make because of the hair, right? So I dye it back to dark brown. (sighs) And what I've learned through this lesson, I learned that we are truly free when we are able to restrict our freedom for the good and benefits of others. The lesson that I learned, I did not realize this lesson until the first person asked me, why do you actually choose to dye your hair back to dark brown? And when I explained that, oh, this is the application of my sermon. <laughs> we are truly free when we are able to restrict our freedom for the good and benefits of others. And in verses 13 to 15, Paul is saying that freedom given by God is to be exercised in the context of love, is to be exercised in, with the expression of love. Not only we shall use this freedom, shall not use this freedom to satisfy us and indulge in our selfish desires, but we are called to use this freedom to serve one another in love as a free person. In Romans chapter 13, Paul says that love fulfills the law that leads us to freedom for the law, because love fulfills the law. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. And therefore, Christ sets us free from the law that God has lovingly accepted us. We do not need to earn our salvation. We are no longer bound by sin. Therefore, there is no more fear and condemnation. And we are free for the law. God has a purpose for us when He sets us free. And that is letting our faith working through love where love fulfills the law. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are free. Tell your neighbor who is We are free. You are free. We are free to enjoy God. We are free to love. And let me close with this. You know, in the pastor's voice, Pastor Isaiah also mentioned about Jesus took up the role of a servant when he washed his disciples' feet. And after washing their feet, he asked them, Do you understand? Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right. I am. That's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and you ought to wash one another's feet. Christ has set us free from the slavery of sin, lifted us from the lowest level of a slave to become the children of God. And now, are you willing, for the sake of love, for the sake of Christ, to take up the role of a servant to serve Him and our neighbours in love? Are you willing to take up the role of a servant to serve Him and our neighbours in love as Christ has set us free for such a freedom? So let us spend some time responding to God in prayer. And think about how should we serve God in love? How should we serve our neighbours in love? Who are our neighbours?